All right, that, uh, that bumper video is probably going to make a lot more sense to you in a few weeks as we work our way through four stories of people of the Bible that you may remember from childhood. If you grew up like I did, you learned their stories in Sunday school from somebody who may have taught you their story using a flannel graph, uh, which was the cutting-edge technology of its day. And we're going to get to story number one in just a moment. I want to welcome those of you here with me in the Ward Church Sanctuary and uh, many people watching online today. Good morning to you. Uh, Rick and Linda are online. Ron and Sharon are online. Uh, my old uh, friends, the Sylvesters, are watching from Arizona this morning. Welcome to you. Uh, the weather is getting nice here in Michigan, and Americans everywhere are planning summer vacations. Now, I know that here in Michigan, we're in the middle of another COVID spike, and we have to keep wearing our masks and stay physically distant and continue to pray for healthcare workers and frontline workers. We are not out of the woods yet. I am not naive to the present situation. Um, However, Americans, by and large, are optimistic about the future, as am I. And one of the signs of American optimism is the fact that people are planning vacations. Uh, Angie and I have, are trying to book some campsites uh, this summer, and we're having a hard time getting in. The travel industry is expecting a, a, a boom, a, a return to, to business. Uh, one writer said that because of the pandemic, Americans have pent-up adventure, and we're ready to go places. Uh, I saw a recent article called Worst Decisions You Can Make on Vacation. Worst decisions you can make on vacation, and the article had nine bad vacation decisions. I want to share just four of them with you. Some of them you'd expect to see on a list called bad vacation decisions, like this first one, uh, booking a tight connection. Bad decision, if you've traveled by airline, you can miss your connecting flight. You can have to run through the airport in a sweaty mess. Trying to, it's a bad decision. Uh, another one on the list. Uh, was not checking passport and visa requirements before you travel. That's a bad decision if you're going internationally. It can delay your trip, even cancel your trip. Uh, A lot of these in the list were expected. This next one surprised me. Bad decision, risking your life to take a selfie. Honestly, you think that would have been on the list a decade ago? In 2011, there were two reported deaths from people taking dangerous self, uh, photographs, selfies. In 2019, there were more than 100 people who died trying to get that perfect Instagram uh, photo. That is a bad decision. The, the article said the most common causes of death were taking photos on railroad tracks, getting hit by waves on the beach, and falling from ledges. And we can add uh, recently some zoo dangerous things. Have you seen the news where people climb over a fence to get a selfie with a lion or something? That is a bad decision. And then this next bad decision uh, kind of intrigued me. Bad decision uh, number four, not checking for bed bugs. (laughs) Do you do this when you travel? That would not have occurred to me. It's more on the mind of of my, my wife who is more aware I'm going to go ahead and say obsessive when it, when it comes to clean sheets and things. I think it goes back for us to a documentary we saw years ago where they brought in these special black lights into a hotel room to show germs and, and viruses and dirt that exist on hotel sheets and throughout the hotel room. And it, it was uh, disgusting. It was terrifying. And I decided right then and there that I would never again watch a documentary. Um, <laughs> because it's too unsettling. 
And I think this is the reason that my wife decided otherwise. I think this is why uh, she likes for our family to travel in our pull-behind camper trailer because she knows where the sheets have been. Have you ever seen a bed bug? They're, they're, not, uh, they're not very big and uh, not, not very cute, and they don't seem like they would cause a lot of problem, but it only takes a short time before you can have a bed bug infestation in a mattress. This is a picture of a mattress, actually, uh, that you know, could happen in a hotel room. So much for that travel boom, huh? Uh, I mean, we just decided right now, we are staying home. I don't have enough pent-up adventure in me uh, for, for that. Uh, so today, we begin a brand new uh, series on how to make a bad decision, not with vacations, but with life. And by looking at the anatomy of a bad decision, we can see how to not make one, and we can even better see how to make good decisions. And we're going to look at four of the worst decisions ever made in the Bible. And uh, these four stories will give us four big principles around bad decisions, and then they're corollary you know, will be four big ideas toward making good decisions. And the first case study, if you will, is a man named Esau. Esau was the uh, elder son of a man named Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. He was the elder son only by a little because you may know he had a twin brother, a younger twin brother named Jacob. You might be familiar with the story, but we're going to hear it read again by the Herd family. Would you guys come on up? Uh, reading the scripture today, we have the Herd family. Ken is serving elsewhere in the building. We have Darcy, Jacob, David, Nathan, and Gracie. This is the scripture reading of the day. So would you please stand to your feet out of respect for God's word? At the very end of this reading, as has become our custom, you will hear the words, this is the word of the Lord. And if you'd please respond by saying, thanks be to God. All right, let's give our attention to today's scripture reading. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within. You will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will still have the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So I named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grabbing Esau's heel. So he named him Jacob. Isaac was six years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau became, came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Can we uh, thank them for helping us? Thank you. 
All right, so this is a story about twins, and I'm always intrigued because I am a twin. I have a twin sister, and uh, we have a much older brother and sister, so we are tied for last place in our family. We're tied for the youngest. But with twins, there's no real tie, is there? Someone has to be born first, and in my family, it was my sister, and I always told her I was just being the gentleman and letting her go first. Um, but she, uh, when we were kids, she never let me live it down that she was older than me. Uh, she would really rub it in. She called me her baby brother. I'm five minutes younger. She called me her baby brother. She would say, Mom and Dad, you can go out. I'll babysit for Scott. And she would kind of rub it in. But then it occurred to me, once you pass a certain age, the tables turn. And now it's my turn to make fun of my much older sister. And I will say thanks to her, like, I hope I look as good as you do when I get to be your age. Right? Five minutes from now. And, you know, she'll be seated down. I'll say, let me help you up, elder sister. Let me help you uh, walk this way. So is it better to be the older or the younger? In Bible times, it was always better to be the older It was always better to be the oldest boy. To the oldest boy went the birthright, and if that was you, with the birthright went the inheritance. The birthright meant you were the de facto leader of the family if anything happened to the father. And you got the lion's share of the inheritance. Not all the inheritance, but you would get most of the inheritance because as the future leader of the family, you might have to care for other extended family members. And Esau traded his birthright and his inheritance for a bowl of SpaghettiOs. This is a horrible trade. This is a horrible, no good, very bad decision. Why did he make it? Because he was hungry. And satiating his hunger was the only thing he could think about in that moment. It was the only thing that mattered. And so with a single decision, Esau lost everything. The land, the flocks, the money. And if you know the story, you know Jacob, uh, or Esau continued to make bad decisions, including leaving his people altogether, eventually leaving his mother uh, to help Jacob take away not only the inheritance, but Esau's leadership of the family as well. And there's even more that he lost. Uh, Again, if you look at the family... Uh, lineage. We have the twins, Esau and Jacob. Again, their father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham, the one that God chose to bring God's people, to, to start the whole Jewish uh, race, uh, the one, the, the, the group through which God would eventually bring the Messiah, Jesus. And for Jews and for Christians, this trilogy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is so natural to talk about. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the, you know, the lineage, the descendants that, that brought the descendants of God's people. Uh, this is the lineage of the Messiah of Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Jacob will be the one forever enshrined in history, and Esau becomes more like a footnote Esau really did lose everything. And there's this line in verse 30, you you heard it read. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Not Edom like Edom, Edom, Edom. Uh, The word Edom means red, and he's going to be named, he's going to be remembered for his bad decision, for the red stew. You may have heard of a group called the Edomites, Right, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. 
the, one, the, the, the red guy who ate the red stew and red-lined. They will be remembered, they will be marked forever by Esau's bad decisions. So here's the first lesson uh, in our series. Uh, the first lesson we're going to learn, if you want to make a bad decision, think short-term. Right? Don't work out the consequences in your head. Don't look down the road. Uh, think only about what you want right now. Sometimes short-term thinking can be funny. This is why YouTube was created, you know, capturing bad decisions on camera. And whenever you see a, a trampoline and a swimming pool, uh, you know somebody's about to make a really bad decision. And bad decisions, again, they can be funny, but usually they lead to a world of hurt. And uh, this is true of short-term thinking. We all do short-term thinking. Why do we do it? Uh, why do we think short-term? Well, maybe it's just out of ignorance. Uh, you know, we've never really been taught to think long-term. We haven't seen it modeled anywhere in our lives very well. Uh, maybe it's not that we don't want to do it. We just don't know. It's, it's our default mode. Uh, maybe it's ignorance. Uh, maybe it's not ignorance. Maybe it's emotions. We are feelers, not thinkers, and we make decisions based on our emotions and what we want in that moment. We even, uh, you know, the common uh, counsel of the day says, do whatever makes you happy. And I get what they're going for, why they're going for some good counsel, but generally that leads to what's going to make you happy right now. It leads to short-term thinking and it leads to horrible decisions. Or maybe it's the fact that we despise long-term thinking. We actually do value the now more than the then. We prize today more than tomorrow. Again, this was the words of the Bible in, in our story. It actually uses that word despise. Esau despised his birthright. He turned away from it. He didn't value it. The things that should have been important, he didn't give a thought to at all. No matter what the reason behind our short-term thinking, whether it's ignorance, emotions, or despising the future, it's really hurting us, right? It's leading us to terrible decisions. We end up marrying the wrong person, having no retirement savings, losing our job, never buying a home, constantly being in debt, uh, taking on more responsibilities than we can handle in terms of our schedule and our responsibilities. Uh, whatever you decide using only short-term thinking will usually lead to some negative long-term consequence. But the long-term is our reality. The long-term is our future. The long-term is the inheritance that you could have had, should have had, would have had, had you thought long-term, but all we can think about is a, the bowl of stew right now. So how do you think long-term? How do you train yourself, discipline yourself to get out of the short-term rut, the short-term temptation, the short-term seduction? And it is a seduction. We are seduced to thinking about what we want in the moment, what feels good now, don't think about the future. Don't think much at all. So one of the best things I've come across is this idea called the 10-10-10. Right? It's a simple idea, but a profound one. When you're going to make a decision, think about that decision in terms of the consequences for 10 minutes, for 10 months, and for 10 years. How will this decision affect the immediate, the near term, and the distant term? 
Think about those immediate decisions, those 10 minute right now decisions. It's taking the selfie that could risk your life. It's sexting your boyfriend or girlfriend and putting your image out there in cyber world forever. It's quitting your job before you've got another place to go because you responded in anger. It's speeding recklessly to get somewhere that will make a difference tomorrow, risking a ticket or worse. It's a sexual encounter risking your health and your future. 10-minute decisions, but how will those 10-minute decisions affect the next 10 months or the next 10 years, right? The 10-10-10 decision-making process was popularized by author Susie Welch in her book, um, but she says 10-10-10 is not original to her, but in her book on this, she says the way the 10-10 thinking process begins is by naming the big question. What's that question you want uh, resolved, right? Should I quit my job? Uh, should I hold my kid back in school? Uh, should I buy that house with the fantastic yard and the leaky roof? Uh, should I stay in this relationship or end it? So that's first. You name the question, she says, and then you ask questions of the question. What are the consequences of my options in the immediate 10 minutes? And, and 10 minutes isn't really a time frame. It just means they're right now, today, this week, right today. And then you bump it out and think about 10 months. Again, 10 is not important, but the near-term foreseeable future. And then you bump it out 10 years. may not be 10 years, but the distant future that you cannot see fully, but can you anticipate how this little decision might affect uh, 10 years down the road? She breaks it down like this. You got 10 minutes, which is the immediate or the, you know, what do I want right now? Uh, the heat of the moment decisions are those 10-minute decisions. 10 months are the near term uh, in the foreseeable future. And 10 years are the distant future or what she calls when all is said and done. And of course, the idea is that we would construct the life that we really want, that construct the life that God wants us uh, to have. And she puts it this way. Knowing what I know now about all my options, all of my options and their consequences, which decision will best help me create a life of my own making? And as Christians, we might prefer, rather than say create a life of my own making, to say a life uh, that God, of God's making, or the life that God has called me to make. How do we think long term? Now, a disclaimer here, the lesson of the story is not don't be like Esau, rather be like his younger brother Jacob. That's not the lesson. Jacob was no model. What a crummy little brother. Little heel grabber, right? He was immature, manipulative, and greedy. At this point in the story, neither brother is to be emulated, but their story is still being written. In fact, most of the people of the Bible were pretty messed up and made lots of mistakes, and that ought to give us a lot of hope. God is bigger than our mistakes. God is bigger than our bad decisions. However, our decisions do have consequences. We can learn from Esau the short-sighted. When I pastored in a college town, I would tell college students all the time, don't make a decision based on one stage of life, that you will regret for the rest of your life. And maybe you're not a college student, but maybe you're a, a parent of young children, right? Don't make a decision based on this stage of life that you will regret for the rest of your life. This counsel works for every age and stage. 
Don't give in to short-term thinking. Think long-term. In just a moment, we're going to share in the sacrament of communion, of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus always shared his table with people who had made bad decisions. Poor choices will not get you uninvited to the table of Jesus. His table is for sinners. His table is for people like you and me. But his table, his presence is also a place to get grounded in truth, to live in a new reality, and even to think about a glorious future. If you're watching at home and you haven't done so already, please uh, find out some bread and some juice uh, to get ready to participate. Again, any kind of bread will work. Any kind of juice will work. If you're at home, just grab something out of the cupboard. Um, here in the sanctuary, you received a cup. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, uh, let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for working through imperfect people. Thank you for your grace in our bad decisions and in our bad behavior. Give us wisdom and strength to make the kind of decisions that help create the life you have for us. Keep us from the temptation of short-term thinking and immediate gratification. Build in us self-control so that our journey will not be derailed by our appetites, but will instead lead us to abundant living. Father, we come now to share in the Lord's Supper and we remember the death of Jesus on a cross for our sin. We remember the extent of your love and forgiveness. And God, we in this moment confess our selfish actions. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Father, you know all things and yet you have forgiven us and adopted us as your children. Set apart now this ordinary bread and cup for us as a holy sacrament. For those gathered in this building and those gathered at home, meet us in the breaking of bread and the taking of cup. Unite us with one another as one church family. Bind us once more with Jesus our Savior. This we pray through Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Amen.